Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the gang. You know, the one you never asked to be a part of. You are listening to The Grief Gang Podcast with me, your host, Amber Jeffrey. This podcast has been created to tackle the tough but important conversations around grief with authenticity, realness, and having a laugh whilst we're at it. Look, we're all going to experience grief at some point in our life, in some way or another. So it's good to talk about it, so that it's not much of a nightmare when it comes knocking at our doors. Grief can be incredibly lonely and isolating, but you don't have to feel lonely alone. On this podcast, you will hear various different stories and experiences, ones that will uplift you, inspire you, break your heart, mend your heart, and get you asking yourself some big questions. Some of these stories are my own, some are from the wonderful growing Grief Gang community, And some are from the incredible guest interviews. You will most likely cry. (laughs) I hope somewhere along the line you can get a giggle in. But I promise you, you will learn something. I haven't got a clue what you'll take away, but I know you will take away something. So this might be weird to say given the context, but happy listening. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Grief Gang podcast. Quick disclaimer for this intro, if you hear my washing machine and it sounds like it's going to take off into space, that's because it is fucking thing. Anyway, this week I am talking to Katrina Weller of Grow With Grief HQ. Katrina, I've known Katrina for a good couple of years now online and Katrina so kindly when I put the call out for this episode came forward to say that she would share, to say to say that she would share her story. Today's episode is about 
grief, obviously, but a different arm of grief. I've been wanting to explore on the podcast this season different aspects of grief that aren't just tied to death and dying. And so in today's episode, Katrina, though she is bereaved by death, we are going to be talking about a period of Katrina's life where she was dependent on alcohol through her young adolescence, young teen years, into her early 20s, and how grieving for that part of her life is and in comparison to grieving the multiple losses and deaths of people in her life. In this episode Katrina is completely raw and really relatable I felt to me listening to her take me back to the times when she was 15 up until about 20 when her dependency on alcohol was really quite rife and rippling through her whole life and how it affected the friendships and relationships in her life and what eventually drove her to breaking point to get the support that she needed to break her dependency on alcohol and coming to understanding of how actually turning to alcohol was not the best thing and how learning that it was crippling her life more than it was aiding and supporting and numbing her. So it's really, really interesting episode. And I just can't thank Katrina enough for being so open and honest and candid. Um, it was, it's a tough thing to go back to and to relive that time of your life. And as you'll hear when she reflects back on those years and the grief for it, I think you definitely hear and feel that. So I hope that for anybody who is listening today, who potentially is or has experienced this, this type of grief and just this experience of depending on alcohol or potentially a different vice that, and if you are seeking help and kind of have been looking for something to kind of help you kind of get through the mud and just try and see and witness someone's story of who has come out the other side and is still working on it. It's a never ending project and working on yourself and that it's doable and it's feasible and that you're worthy of it too. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for joining me here today on the Grief Gang podcast. And thank you for staying up (laughs) into the evening. (laughs) It is so interesting and so funny trying to organise podcast episodes like across across the world, not just the pond, just the world of like, okay, if that's that time zone, like I have never Googled so many time zones (laughs) in my life. It's ridiculous. But no, thank you. I'm so, so appreciative of you staying up and joining me today for this sort of like special and like different episode of the podcast Mm. um we're going to be it's it's you know it's tied in with grief and loss but it's definitely a different arm and something different um for the listeners and I'm I'm really excited and really appreciative that you've come forward to share a bit about your story and how you relate to this as well. So well, I'm going to shut up now. Katrina, <laughs> you can spend a bit of time just telling the audience about who you are and why, firstly, more so, you are part of the Grief Gang. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, if I'm going to stay up late for anybody, it's going to be for you, Amber. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 an honor and it's really amazing to be able to come on here and speak because since the first day that you started this podcast, I've been following you. So it's, it's amazing to be able to come on and share and I really appreciate you inviting me to do so. Firstly, I'll put that out there. Um, <laughs> so I'm part of the grief gang, I guess, initially because my mum. So my mum, Greta, died when I was 15 years old in 2010. So it was the week before my 16th birthday. She died of cancer. Um, it had been, I always think it was a really long journey, but mm. it actually, looking back, was only about six months when you look at the timeline of it. I guess it just felt really long in our lives. Yeah, yeah. Um and then from the age of 16 um, until now, I'm now 28, I've experienced the death of six other family members and um, also my nephew who died at five days old, which was a, a whole different ball game of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no grief is the same. And that really opened my eyes and changed a lot of things for me, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Yeah. Um And more recently for me as well is me and my partner experiencing struggles with infertility and having to go through IVF and miscarriages and all of that. So I've had a lot of experience with grief in my um, young years and um, each time it's been different and each time I've learned something new from it and come out stronger really. And I think um, I don't really get the opportunity to share much about my own personal story. So it's really nice to come on here and be able to do that in a bit more depth especially this yeah. part of it because I've never really spoken about it openly before so it's a bit of a brief overview you know um as you said yeah like this part what we're going to talk about today as, and it is will and will be I imagine so related to all of those deaths and losses that you have experienced and I can imagine at times I'm sure we're absolutely going to get into it but um for today's purpose of today's episode we're going to be talking about a different type of grief that you have experienced um, and are still potentially still experiencing. Um, mm-hmm. And it is to do with alcoholism and dependency. And so when you wrote in Katrina, I was so, I knew I wanted to speak to you more about this because I feel like this is a type of grieving and type of loss and just experience that is so disregarded because of the way mm-hmm people with addiction are treated or have lived with addiction are treated and just disregarded and kind of um it's even and they get clean and then kind of it's oh but that's that was just a chapter of your life but still how much you can mourn for that period of your life so before we get to that part and talking about like the mourning and for that if you wouldn't mind Katrina just taking the listeners back to when you first started turning to alcohol and your story with that please yeah pretty much straight away I mean 15 16 years old that's kind of the age where I started I was a bit late a bit of a late bloomer I guess and it was kind Mm. of the age where I started drinking with my friends going to parties and so it coincided that rebellious risky behavior that you do Mm. naturally as a teenager coincided with the loss of my mom and it escalated. When Mm. my mom died, for me, I lost a lot of my identity. I didn't know who I was. And drinking was something that I felt brought out who I was. And that's Mm -hmm. the only way that Mm -hmm. people could see me as if I was drunk and loud and felt confident. And it was a way to mask internally what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much started from the age of 16, yeah, drinking house parties, blackout drunk. Um, I could never 
just take it easy. I, yeah. I would never be able to just have one or two drinks. It would it would be nothing or the complete extreme. Um, until university, it kind of progressed when I moved away from home, obviously, less people watching over you, more people around you drinking again, that culture's yeah promoted so I was gonna say like if it's, it's sorry to interrupt I'm just like the the culture of us in in, in the Britain Brits um yeah. of it, it was so very much like almost put upon you of like yeah when you turn 16 you start underage drinking you're going to house parties and so it's like as you said then of like I couldn't just have one or two what 16 year old could yeah exactly. <laughs> we, were all, we were all like get the bottle of vodka and just you were just like oh my god like we weren't at the age where you go oh no I've had enough I think I'm okay yeah it one was, glass of wine yeah like, oh, I'm feeling a bit I'm feeling a bit fuzzy you know it wasn't that it was oblivion go till oblivion yeah. so it's and then it's yeah when is that line of when oh okay that's accepted and then oh no actually that's a problem and then you're going into university and it's yeah. even more ramped up there. Yeah, sorry, go ahead with uni. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost in some cases shamed. If you say, oh, actually, I'm not going out tonight or I'm not drinking tonight, mm. people start questioning you and they almost <laughs> peer pressure you into it. And I don't think they do it out of, um, like, I don't think they do it in a lazy way. It's just what you do as kids, right? It's yeah, just what you do. Totally. Um, so... Yeah, it, it got quite bad when I was at university um, to the point where when I was eventually living back at home when I was studying, my, you know, I would go out, wouldn't come home um, till about 6am, jump in the shower, mm. go straight to uni, do it all over again. So I wasn't wow. sleeping. I was drinking. Uh, my dad was checking the water by my bed because he sometimes it wasn't water and you know he was concerned about me and he didn't really know how to manage it um and there was also I think for him the thought of is this just normal behavior for this age is she just Mm -hmm. testing the boundaries is it something more um so it kept going like that really until maybe since I met Will my part my current partner really um so maybe the last until like five years ago yeah and and then so that's really interesting then and for your dad of of yeah of is this just and and then throw in as well is this her you know rebelling and a part of her grief for her mum and it must be really hard because you know okay being being 15 and mum dying and kind of when we look to adults and when they have like bereavements they turn to sometimes to vices and stuff and so it's when do we find the line for them but then I know for a child it's different but it's so trickier for your dad of like is this her just being a normal young adolescent woman and going through the regular tripes of uni but is it what is like I hate the word normal what is normal and what isn't and when do I as a father need to intersect here and go Katrina do we need to talk kind of thing and so yeah to go back and kind of like on, on reflection now can you see or do you feel that your mum dying was a huge indicator of turning to alcohol the way you did like was there any moments that you may remember or feel like where you were definitely using alcohol to as a numbing source 
oh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and majority yeah. of the times, to be honest, was um, I felt uncomfortable in myself because of my grief. I had a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, and I didn't mm. want everybody to see that. I was hurting a lot. I didn't talk about my grief, and I didn't want people to know that I was sad. So yeah. what would not make me sad anymore? Alcohol, which actually mm. wasn't true because actually once I passed a certain point of the amount that I had consumed in that night, I would get emotional and it would all come yeah. out. So I thought that it was helping me and helping to mask my emotions, but it wasn't. No. And, you know, actually all of my friends could see that it wasn't. Um, yeah. You know, and I will, I will say as well with my dad, like he didn't see it all. He didn't, mm. I didn't let yeah. him see it You were it uni, all. yeah. Yeah. So he also didn't know the full extent. And um, for me, it just... I thought it gave, yeah, it gave me this sense of confidence of mm-hmm. fitting in with everybody. Cause again, a massive thing for me losing mom so young is I felt so different to everybody around me and yeah. all of my friends. I just mm-hmm. wanted to fit in. And the common denominator was alcohol. So yeah. it, it really was at the core my grief for her and losing her was at the core of all of my drinking. I was also, mm-hmm severely depressed which then I would drink mm-hmm. um I had severe anxiety so when I was feeling socially anxious to feel calm and relaxed I would drink mm-hmm. and it but it all went back to that grief that I just wasn't yeah. talking about and wasn't telling anyone mm-hmm. about yeah it is and as you just said there of like you thought that drinking and doing it was um being able to ignore it and just kind of suppress it but always at some point it would come out and I can so relate to that of there was a stint in my time where I was yeah I would try and just live like the normal young which I just wanted to fit in again and hearing you say that it really does take me back take me back a bit of just wanting to be just a young woman who doesn't have this label of dead mum like on their forehead and just be able to slot back into the scene of everything just like come back in and sit back in and just not have the night end in tears and just everyone kind of looking like oh god what do we do now (laughs) and it was and it was so and yeah for a while I remember it put me off drinking but then again our culture especially here in the UK of just is if you're not you're missing out and you're not being part of it and you're not being fun and you're not this you're not Mm. that and so you really are sometimes that a a lose-lose situation you're like well if I come out I know this really isn't good for me and being part of this drinking culture but if I stay in and I home you know I might end up just drinking at home too so it's like kind of what do you do there and you mentioned about your friends so like is your friend's notice that there's as a clear like dependency here did they try and have any conversations with you about it yeah I don't know at what point they started to notice um mm. I'm not sure when it clicked for them probably when they were fed up of holding my hair back and you know having to call my yeah. dad for me and all of those things um they they did have a conversation with me um I didn't hear it yeah I think they tried multiple times to have a conversation with me. And I do as well. I do. Looking back, I can see that often they would try and encourage social events where alcohol wasn't there. Okay. And, you know, for me to then be like, let's go get, go have a drink would seem a bit mm. weird and out of place. Um, and unfortunately it did fracture quite a few friendships. Um, mm. They just had enough. 
they didn't know how to support me. I could sometimes be quite nasty when I was drunk. Mm. Um, and also for, you know, I was 20 when I went to uni, I went to uni late. So a lot of my friends were 18, 19 and for 18, 19 year olds to have to deal with that as well. That's a massive emotional toll on them. Mm. And I don't hold any animosity there. Like mm. at the time I found it really hard that they weren't there and they kind of left me and I couldn't see why, but yeah. now I can see like, it was just too much. It was too much. Totally. It's not anything that anyone should have to go through and deal with, let alone, you know, 18, 19 year olds. So yeah, I'm with you there. Like likewise with the friends that I um, kind of think kind of crumbled with back then and kind of, I can look back and I can give them grace now of like, yeah, like we were 18 and 19. Like, of course, in the moment you're like, you should know better and you should do better because you're my best friends, blah, blah, blah. But, and you look back and, and like, if you might see like 18 or 19 year olds now and you're like, oh yeah, fuck no. Like there's no <laughs> way. <laughs> like I look at 18 and 19 year olds and like my family and I'm like, oh my God, yeah, no, I would not expect like the, the expectances that I had of them at the time. But again, hindsight is just the most beautiful thing. I think in grief, yeah, it is. <laughs> look back and go, oh my God, like, what was I thinking there? Or what were you doing? <laughs> like, what the hell? But giving grace, it comes to some, it comes to none. Um, but how did, how did you know, Katrina, of like, how, what was, what was the breaking point for you of like, enough is enough and I need help like was that something externally like did someone like dad or like friends or was it something I feel like you know anybody if you want to help yourself you know to be helped you have to want to help yourself so everyone can be rallying for you and being like we want to get you help we want to do this we want to support you and you can have the whole village helping you but if you don't want to help yourself it's no good so what was essentially if there was one the breaking point for yourself there was kind of two things combined, I guess. Um, I think firstly, if anybody had tried to talk to me about it, I would have told them to bugger off and I wouldn't have listened to them. Um, so firstly, I had my second suicide attempt when I was really struggling with my alcohol intake, Mm. um, pretty much drinking every day all night. I couldn't sleep unless I had a drink, like that kind Mm. of thing. And, um, yeah, that's when I had my second suicide attempt. So that obviously created almost forced intervention. Mm -hmm. And secondly, my sister, when she gave birth um, prematurely to her twins and my nephew died at five days old, that again, for me was a big wake up call of like, what on earth are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of my guilt and shame that sort of, brewed and created this dependency for alcohol was based around the fact that I felt guilty that I was living and if I was enjoying myself I felt bad I was like how dare I enjoy myself my mom's not here to enjoy herself anymore I should be sad all the time that's the only way I'm grieving you know if I'm not sad I've forgotten her yeah and I realized in that moment that yeah, you can have grief and happiness at the same time. Like I I saw my sister and I talk about this so often and I I saw my sister so happy because she had her babies, but so heartbroken and devastated because one of them had died. And like the duality there really Mm -hmm. brought it home to me that I was, I was creating my own suffering by Mm -hmm. staying in the state that I was staying in. Um, And 
when I spoke with my psychologist and the professionals and friends and started to like really look at it and look at what had caused me to get to the point where I was at then, I saw that alcohol wasn't helping me. And actually when those things did happen where I was harming myself and, you know, the friendship fallouts and um, the suicide suicide attempt, that all happened when I was drunk and when yeah. I had been drinking. Mm-hmm. And had I not been drinking, maybe none of those, I mean, I don't, I can't, you know, I don't know, but maybe none of those things would have happened. But I, I was causing my own suffering. Yeah. And um, I'm not going to say that I changed things overnight. I definitely didn't. Mm-hmm. And I definitely haven't. But it is what woke me up. Yeah. Really. And, really- and I don't want to say anyone needs something like that traumatic to happen to wake them up. And I really of hope course, that they don't yeah. need something that traumatic. But that is just yeah what happened for me and yeah your situation and kind of realizing that you have a choice you have a choice in this and uh and I know for some people as well like being and so deep in their addiction it's really hard to see that like there is no choice in this it is either I live with this addiction or I die um but living with that addiction will potentially end up with you dying so it's kind of it all, all roads lead to to that and um hearing you then talking about how you know talking about how with your mum and saying you know I I don't deserve to feel joy and just the punishing of yourself like really really relate to that of just the the punishment and the 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 cruelty-ness to yourself of the even like catching yourself in the middle of a laugh or a good time and being like snap out of it not for you not for us we don't get to enjoy that and then for you to see and witness your sister in that horrific time and seeing yeah the duality of grief and joy and like then permitting yourself of like I can carry both I can carry both the sadness of all of what I've experienced and permit myself to feel joy like I'm worthy of it that's what I'm worthy mm-hmm. of of being able to live with the balance of both um and I can stop punishing myself and there is a choice out of this and so and so what what did it look like so I've said it wasn't overnight um as as most things are not and good things <laughs> they take time and they do and kind of um what what was the path forward then like what support did you find and how did you support yourself Katrina um professional support big one yeah tried lots of different counsellors different psychologists and was very fortunate to find one that I really resonated with and that I felt comfortable with and that gave me the ability to reflect on why I was doing what I was doing what did it make me feel um when I was drinking and could I find that somewhere else through Mm -hmm. a safer route okay and um do I need to find that you know do Mm -hmm. I need to numb myself or actually is it healthy to feel what I'm feeling so Mm -hmm. he was wonderful in giving me that the second most important thing was actually just telling my close friends and saying yeah. to them, I don't want, like, I am trying to cut down on my alcohol intake. I am trying to, I, I never went stone cold sober. Mm-hmm. Um, some people may agree with that. Some people may not, but I didn't. And until a few years later, 
but I did let my friends know, like, this is what's happening. And when I am feeling anxious or when I am feeling emotional or my grief is heavy that day, the last thing, like, please do what you like, can we change the plans? Yeah. So that I'm not drinking. Um, can you also just question me if I'm going like, you know, downing those drinks, like no tomorrow, like just tell me to slow down and pull me up Mm. on it because nobody pulled me up on it before until after the event. Right. Fortunate that I had such a good group of friends around me, um, that was supportive of that. And, you know, like, for example, if they noticed, they would say, Oh, I'm just going to get some water. Do you want some too? Or, Oh, actually I'm thinking they're going to get, go get a burger. Let's go get one. Mm. And that kind of thing, they could really change the situation, um, Mm. naturally, um, so I think the communication was a, was a huge one, but the professional help was probably the biggest because yeah. I needed to be able to find it in myself and recognize in myself that I was capable and that I am worthy of living a life without being drunk. Yeah. That's not, you know, that doesn't define me. That doesn't have to define me. Neither does my grief. My grief doesn't have to define me. There's so much more to me than that. And giving myself permission. And I ha- the only person I think that could really make a change is me. Mm-hmm. But I had to believe it. And, you know, I could ask my friends anything under the sun, but also it's not fair, nor is it their responsibility to counsel me or be a psychologist for me. They can only do so much. So that professional support key goal I'll always remember that psychologist hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Katrina, being both bereaved by multiple deaths and obviously mum being, was mum was your first like significant death yeah. out of the many that you've experienced and such a, a huge one like me, like gone like the whole life, no bereavements. And then it's like, boom, your mother. And you're um, like, are you fucking joking me? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you take I mean, my mum. I did have a guinea pig die when I was like four, <laughs> but I feel like that didn't prepare me. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Oh, I had, I, I had like a pet cemetery in my garden. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, on to the next pet. Like, I was ruthless with those pets. But you know, you're like, oh my God, my first taste of death and it's my fucking mum. Like, are you joking? Yeah. <laughs> Baptism of fire. Jeez. <laughs> you know, they're not fucking around. Whoever's doing the paperwork up somewhere, they're not fucking around. <laughs> but being both, Katrina, bereaved by both like multiple deaths and and living with this experience, like do you and and did you or and do you still grieve for that 
part of your life that was like lost to alcoholism looking back and going oh my gosh like through those those early early or late teenage years and early uni years of like wondering oh but what if I wasn't as dependent and kind of do you feel that grief for those years of your life yeah massively um there's a lot of times I don't remember Mm -hmm. um a lot of memories that my friends have that again I have no recollection of um a lot of days wasted because I was so Mm -hmm. hungover couldn't get out of bed um a lot of special moments with my granddad that is no longer here that were kind of ruined because I couldn't eat or I couldn't talk because I was just so sick yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. or drunk. And um, yeah, I, I feel that I did lose part of my experience of university being like a young adult because I just can't remember a lot of it. Yeah, And it wasn't me that was there in those moments. It was somebody else. It wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of friendships, you know, that I lost, That's that's been hard. Yeah. Um, some, some I've been able to reconnect with, others I haven't. And they're friendships that I really valued. And because of the choices I made, they're not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's, that's quite hard. I'm grieving. I, I do grieve for a lot of the relationships that I lost as a result yeah. of my behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear that. It's really tough and kind of, it's like, if you could sit down with those people that this affected and kind of, you know, show them yourself now and be like, I'm totally changed. And like this, that is not me. I'm so far removed from that. And, um, but it's like, there's there's things and I've done it myself there's things that have been said that have been done that for some people for them it's like unforgivable and unforgettable and as much as you would you would really want to fight your case just some people they're just like I can't and they've been wounded and they've been hurt and I think the hardest part in that is to know that you did that and that's come from someone who's likewise is with you in that boat of you I don't even want to sit and be like you've only got yourself to blame because I feel like the blaming as we just said earlier of like we were very young kids we're kids of like to blame that of we knew no better we had no blueprint we had no guideline onto it and to give as much as we said then of like we can look back and give those friends grace and give them a bit of hindsight I've definitely learned to and maybe it's from me to you as well, of like to give myself a bit of grace too, of going, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? Yeah, I did, I fucked up a bit there and I did a few fucked up things. And I, you know, you, you can be deeply sorry, but you have to learn, like, to forgive yourself. I think that's definitely over the last few years for me, I grieve for those friendships. And um, mm-hmm. there was actually an interesting video. Um, Oh, my video editor Scarlett sent over and she was like please do an episode on this or talk about oh. it so maybe briefly here of like there's a weird part it was a TikTok it was like there's is anybody talking about that weird phase in grief when you want to rekindle with all those like burnt friendships and you basically just want like yeah. to reach out to everybody and I was like oh I, I watched it and I was like I'm so I felt embarrassed to be like <laughs> yeah like that is me because there's still people and I find it so interesting whether that's a thing of tangent of like um 
you know, being touched by death and knowing the fragility of life of that, you might not be here tomorrow, I might not be here tomorrow. So can we just put yeah. this to bed and just yeah. be like as part of it's like maybe not even wanting to actually be friends again. Like some friends I think, no, I couldn't imagine doing tea and cake with you or something like that. <laughs> I just it'd be weird. But the thought of like not just being like cool or not even be able to just text like happy I don't know it just doesn't sit right and so you start scrambling and being like please let's reconnect and doing stuff like that but um yeah I find that really interesting of yeah I definitely was like that and I I too really punished myself for the actions and things I may have said have done to those friends many moons ago um but learning to just go that was a different new amber and you have to release that girl yeah yeah exactly we all change and evolve and grow and I think as long as we know that we're not that person anymore and we've got to be able to figure forgive ourselves for that Mm -hmm. we can't ask or force somebody else to forgive us and um somebody the other day said to me it's about it's providing an explanation not an excuse and I think that's what it is is like sometimes we do mess up we do grief makes us do and say stupid silly crazy things that we probably would Mm -hmm. never say otherwise um And grief can be an explanation for that. You know, we're not excusing our behavior or what we did, but there is sort of like a biological reason as well. Um, So yeah, giving yourself the grace. I think that that's beautifully put what you said there. Yeah. And like you just said, they an explanation and not an excuse, because there's times where I felt like I've recorded a a grief and friendship episode that will be will have been out before this episode. Um, People want to go back and listen to. And I I, when I listened back to it, I felt like for quite a lot of it, I'm like, am I just giving excuses here? But actually, no, because because I wasn't excusing because I could fully I can fully hold my hands up now and go, I'm accountable for a lot of shit um, and still give myself grace. Whereas before. I couldn't it, like if you listened back to if anyone is listening if you listened back to <laughs> the first ever episode of grief and friendship and then to this one that in this season my god the fucking difference is I am like in that first episode like anyone who's not with you like fuck off fuck them all <laughs> off like cut them all off like this and then like I'm like oh baby girl no like we need to take a minute like, <laughs> We need to calm down, like put those scissors away and stop cutting every bastard out of your life. (laughs) And so it's, yeah, it's very interesting to to go back and to listen. But yeah, I was listening back and I was like, I, yeah, I'm giving an explanation. I'm not excusing myself. I'm not excusing myself from the table and accountability at all. I'm very much taking a firm seat at it and being like, yep, yep, I know I was a piece of shit. Yep, yep, I know, I know probably a bit of punishing there as well um but I'm able to give an explanation and go yep I take responsibility for that part no I don't and and being able to sift through and be like kind of that was yours and that was mine and we can be there um yeah I find that that's a great expert that's a great phrase explanation I can't can't steal it because Danny (laughs) Danny little orphan Danny um on Instagram is the one that said it to me so I'll give her credit (laughs) thank you Danny love that End up, Katrine, end of the episode today. What advice would you give for to anyone who is listening who may be struggling with, with alcohol dependency and kind of who is kind of, you know, if they're listening to this episode today, there's probably a reason they're coming and they're thinking maybe, okay, this is the start. This is the start. If I listen to this episode and what can I do and kind of what advice would you give to them or any advice to that Katrina who kind of did go, 
okay, enough is enough now. If you could go back and stand in front of her and say something to her, like, what what would it be? Is this really making you feel better? Mm, mm. Like, really? And really making, like, really thinking about that? Because... I would flippantly say like, yeah, it's making me feel better because I'm laughing and joking with my friends and I don't feel everything so heavy. But actually, I think if I took a moment and really thought about it, it it wasn't making me feel better because you wake up the next day feeling shit. Mm -hmm. You regret, you're hazy, you feel shit so you drink more and it's just this perpetual cycle. Um numbing the way that you feel never works yeah never works and I think until you choose even if it's hard and even if straight away you don't open up with the person that you choose to speak to but until you choose to to seek help and to willingly and openly as scary as it is like look deep deep in Mm. and be reflective you're just going to find another vice. You're just going to find something else that, you know, tries to get you through. Um, And often I would be drinking because I thought that was better for everybody else. Like I thought everybody else would enjoy me more and Mm -hmm. I'd be more liked and more fun, but it was doing the complete opposite. I, you know, what I thought I was doing to make life easier for other people was making it way harder for them. And I think as a collective in general, I'm going to generalize here, but most grievers, their loved ones around them, they don't want to make it harder for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they just want to make it easier and want to see them smile again. Mm-hmm. And choosing to drink, to use substances, whatever, whatever it is. If you're in those early stages, you know, it's different. I think if you're right in the depths, but in those early stages, when you're consciously making those choices, I think just be aware it, it's not helping them either. And I think that's what a lot of people really care about. You know, I'll also say, I didn't say this, but another thing that helped me was actually my sister. She had a massive go at me when she found out that I'd, you know, when she, about my drinking, about my suicide attempt. And some people might say that you shouldn't shout at somebody who's just, you know, attempted suicide. But Mm. actually I needed her to shout at me and tell me like, that is not the right decision. And that is not going to make us feel better. You think it is, but it isn't. Yeah. Um, so those harsh words, as horrible as they were to hear at the time. Yeah. Helped. It's that tough love. And you know what? It's so it's so interesting. I've had multiple conversations with people and sometimes that always comes from the sibling. Yeah. And I've had it too. I had it with my brother. I'll never get my brother one day when I was self-sabotaging in my life and just had those scissors out and I was cutting off everybody. And he was like, Amber, it really gave me a hard trip. He was like, what's the common denominator here of who is falling out with who? And I was like, oh, fuck off, like, Jesus. <laughs> and then he was like, and I was like, why, you know, really, why are you being so nasty? Why are you being so mean? He was like, I'm the only one who's going to tell you how it is in this world. And I was yeah. like, Pfft. he was like, even like your parents, like mum, you know, because your parents are your parents, they still be a bit soft with you maybe, or yeah. I don't know. 
um, just not really want to break your heart or break you down as much. Some parents I know aren't like that, but you know, kind of with sibling that that harsher truth and that tough love some, sometimes comes a bit easier. But yeah. in the moment, it feels like shit. But as you you can look back and go, you know what? I think I need that because especially around a suicide attempts of everyone is heightened and thinking well if we do put on a bit of tough love could this instigate another suicide attempt of and your sister was like hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details no like don't fucking do that again like we need you here I love you you're not going anywhere please don't go anywhere so sometimes it's needed definitely and you know she was also in her very raw grief at that point in time so she was Mm. in her emotional state so for her I don't think it was even a thought of will she do this again it was just I'm going to tell you as it is because this is ridiculous um and you know it worked it worked (laughs) it worked in my case and um yeah and you know I guess I didn't I know we're we're wrapping up but I I like to talk um (laughs) I know um I also didn't mention you know I I cut down my alcohol intake I did go a year sober I am no longer sober but Mm -hmm. what I do before any social occasion or event is I assess and reflect on how I'm feeling if I am feeling not in a good space I just don't even have one drink. I'll drive so that I don't have that choice because I've tried it before where I'm like, I'm going to go and I'm just not going to have a drink. And then I get there and then I'm tequila shots standing on the bar. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. So, you know, almost removing that choice. I have to drive. I have Mm -hmm. to drive me and my partner home. Nobody else is going to do it if he's had five beers. So that removes the choice for me. Um, Or, I will have a few drinks, but again, I try to be mindful and it doesn't always work. And I do relapse. It doesn't always mm-hmm. work, but I try to be mindful of the amount that I'm having. Um, yeah. I don't drink just for like when I'm at home in front of the TV. That's not something mm-hmm. I do. Um, 
certain occasions. We've got an engagement party this weekend. I'll probably have a few, but again, mm. mindful. My fiance knows everything. He'll stop me if he needs to. Yeah. Um, he'll cut me off. He can be harsh with me. <laughs> yeah, you got um, that tough love there. Yeah, yeah. Got that tough love. Um, so I think it's like putting those things in place that actually when you do get tempted, stop you. It's like another yeah. barrier that you've got to work through to actually You're putting get those hurdles in. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, Katrina, thank you so much for being here to end the Grief Gang podcast and being so open. Like, I just know this and your story is going to help so many people and potentially people who have logged on. No, logged on. What am I, like a grandma? Logged on. <laughs> who have tuned in and listened and hopefully this may help or just give them that little little pep talk of like they can do this and they can get the help and they're worthy of the help um so can you just tell the listeners where they can find you as well and your fantastic work because I know you're doing so much yeah you can find me on instagram like everybody else so um grow with grief hq because somebody stole my bloody tag so I had to add a hq on the end uh, which is fine um (laughs) um, but yeah so I've got instagram I've got website I have a facebook page but I'm not gonna lie I don't really use it so um don't go there um (laughs) but that's that's pretty much the main place you can find me I won't tell you well I won't tell you about my work because it's in Australia and like we have I don't know some Aussie listeners I think international um so yes I work with scores and I work with children and um, helping them understand grief and loss not just bereavement but all times of grief and loss that they experience in their life so if you feel like that's something that could be good for your school your kids school your friends school hit me up because um yeah it's really needed and it's all about being proactive and making sure that kids got the tools and the resources to be able to handle these challenges that, that come about in life so totally and yeah. you are brilliant at it as well thank you so much katrina Thanks for tuning in this week. I truly appreciate every single person who listens to the show. By doing so, you're actually helping more people find the show and in turn support themselves. You can keep up to date and become part of the Grief Gang community by following us on social media platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and TikTok. Check out our website and blog too. And if you fancy, you can sign up to our newsletter where you will receive regular emails and first to knows on events and workshops. All links for the above are in the episode footnotes. Big love, look after yourself, and I will see you next week.